Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. I'm George Cooper and what a joy it is to be hosting Thursday Club after a fantastic Tuesday night victory under the lights against an inform and until last night undefeated Brighton and Hove Albion side. It was a fascinating tactical contest which burst into life after our Serbian king Alexander can he do it in the Prem Mitrovic slid onto the end of Aniskin's Cabano cross come shot to put us one up. The Whites double their leads thanks to an own goal from Brighton centre-back Lewis Dunk, whose tidy finish wrong-footed Robert Sanchez. Just moments later, though, a VAR penalty decision went against Bobby Decker-Dover-Reed and Alexis McAllister slotted home to give us, and the neutral at home, a scintillating final 30 minutes. We call it game management. Brighton fans may call it time-wasting, but whatever your persuasion, Fulham defended superbly to earn the three points. We're currently sat sick in the table, five and five for Mitro. What a time to be alive. Fulham are just a joy to watch at the moment at the highest standard of domestic club football. It feels different this time compared to the last two times we're in the Premier League. And what a pod we have in store for you today. We'll analyse all of yesterday's game. In part two, we'll answer your questions and look ahead to transfer deadline day. It's a lot of uh, things which I know have been giving Peter Rutzler some sleepless nights. And before wrapping up with Saturday's, uh, with a preview of Saturday's game against Spurs, I'm delighted to be joined by regular Thursday clubman Jack Collins. How are you doing, son? I'm good. I'm good. Better for last night, right? I was um, I was worried, feverish, if you will, before that game kicked off. But um, yeah, things went to plan, didn't they? All well, all good. It's good to be back. And it's nice to see, have you in the chair, George. We just Thank seem to you. be rotating roles this week. I know, yeah, it's, a, it's the um, the revolving doors. Uh, it's Sammy, uh, is enjoying his honeymoon in the middle of, uh, you know, this this purple patch of Fulham. Yeah, nice quiet what, time he chose he to, to go, yeah. <laughs> so you're right. And I'm also joined by the Athletics Fulham correspondent, P. Rutz, a.k.a. P. Ridley, a.k.a. Peter Rutzler. How are you doing today? Nice. Sammy never gives me uh, an introduction like that. So thank you very much, George. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. How are good you? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, we were just having a little chat um, beforehand and, and Peter made me chuckle because he said why well, can't Fulham ever have straightforward transfers <laughs> so I think we'll come on to that a little bit more in section two but um, Jack we'll kick things off with some three word reviews would you mind starting off for us please yeah of course um, there were there were plenty and there were plenty of very very good ones as well and as you'll see there are some some returning themes across the across the board here but uh, Samuel Fine Silver with Brighton's Your Week uh, Rishi Desai with Mitro here Cardi gone which I enjoyed um, <laughs> Whistle Test at Algra with Dunk in Donut um, which I thought was very very good uh, Patrick Brown killed by Own Gull uh, Londinium Calling with Mitro's Muggle Magic uh, Joe Kent with Dunker Shern Lewis Kyoko with Cottage Seagull Cull Fulham fan base with Potter's spell broken. Chris Inman put eight in August, um, where he said it took us till November the 24th and December the 13th in the last two trips to the Premier League to get to eight points. Eight in August. You love those things. Joe Heatley with Mitro slam dunk. Louis with three point dunk. And uh, a very, very good one from Christiane, who said Mitro number five. Very good. Oh, it was at fertile ground last uh, yesterday evening in terms of the puns. I think we had Dunk, we had Gull, we had Parker, we had uh, we, we had all sorts going on there. So, um, so yeah, a, ri- a rich harvest of three word reviews. Very good. Thank you, Jack. Peter, it was a very interesting start to the match. I I found Fulham started really strongly. Our usual intensity on the ball and pressing off the ball, I thought, was fantastic. Brighton seemed to adopt slightly different tactics, seemingly happy to allow us to have the lion's share of possession and hoping to catch us on the counter um, it's funny as a Fulham fan I sometimes feel blinkered what I thought was a fascinating tactical chess match a few friends at home who are neutrals called it like more of a boring stalemate I just wondered what did you make of the opening spell and how Fulham set up this match against Brighton oh I'm in the I'm in the nerd camp I thought it was tactically really interesting um that was the thing because it was I think I've seen some of the reaction at half time um it was like oh it's, it's a bit awful isn't it and I thought well, it's is it? I, I, I'm engaged. I was engaged in the game in a way that probably not everyone was. And then you check what the 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 shots were. It was five shots between them, and the XG was not above 0.15 or something silly. So yeah, wasn't wasn't overly thrilling. But 
Fulham again showed their bright starts, that really high intensity we see from from the get-go. This seems to be a staple now, and I think it's something that Silva wants his teams to do. We've talked about how Fulham have previously struggled maybe to come from behind. That hasn't been really a a story this season so far because Fulham have started so well. And the best way to to avoid that is is to get ahead if you can. And while that didn't necessarily happen in, in the first half... The team came out well. They were sharp. I thought Niskin Cabano in particular was a real threat, a real handful on that left-hand side. Um, he's just one of a, a few in that team that just seems to be playing with a lot of confidence now. And it helps having that rhythm of games. I mean, there hasn't been much rotation and depth is part of that. But the, the flip side, of course, is you have, you're able to have some players who are just building some consistency and some good form. I thought it started really well. Brighton's setup was really kind of interesting slash weird. You had Solly March very high on the right, who was in front of me. I didn't really have the sort of tactical camera that probably you guys all at home would have would have had. Um, I haven't watched it back yet, so uh, I won't be too precise. But it seemed like March was quite tight on Robinson. You had Trossard sort of drifting to the left, almost split forwards a little bit. Um, no real number nine. And I think that sort of harmed Brighton for most of the game because you can see what happened when, when Danny Welbeck came on. They seemed to have more of a focal point. But I think Silva referenced it afterwards how they started with a back three. They switched to a back four around 25 minutes. It was after that point that you just saw Brighton dominate the game a lot more. They kept the ball really well, really tidy, but never really sort of landed any any punches. And I suppose that was the story of the game for them. And the second half, Fulham again started strongly and, and got the goals. So going back to the original thing, while I started rambling off on on, on stuff, um, those good starts are so important. And you could see how you sort of thought they, how the team sort of feed off the crowd and how the crowd is feeding off the team and it's it makes a really great atmosphere as well yeah on the point that the atmosphere i mean jack craven cottage is just such a fun place to spend an afternoon an evening at the moment i mean having that riverside stand partially filled in does really add to the volume and just i feel like marco silva has done something which very few managers have in the recent times and that entirely unite the fan base right even when we you know went up with parker last time you had people park around and even to some extent jakanovic when we had our poor start in the season um in the premier league with him but i mean what can be said about marco silva and his uniting of the fan base and the atmosphere that that gives us at fulham it's a really fun time to be supporting fulham right now yeah there's something happening isn't there it, feel, it feels like the, the things are on on the rise and this is the thing, you know, we, we've always said this. It's been such a brilliant start to the season. There are going to come bumps in the road. There are going to come setbacks. There are going to be tricky periods in this season. And it just feels like everybody's still firmly behind things. And, and I think that that will carry over through those tricky periods. And it's why, you know, we, we recorded on Sunday and we were talking about the game on Saturday night and it being like, okay, it was tough. We lost, but we gave a good account of ourselves. We we held our own. And and Silva's, you know, his tactical setups, his ability to adapt in the Premier League, which is the big thing we were questioning, right? Not necessarily in, in a kind of negative sense, but being like, okay, you can dominate the championship. It's about whether you can make that work in a system that suits the Premier League. And so many teams get that wrong. Um, and so far, everything has come up trumps Marco Silva. And he's doing so, you know, with... I wouldn't say one hand tied behind his back quite, but, you know, you can see from his comments, he's not, you know, he's not happy with the depth of his squad. He's not happy with the lack of rotation he's able to use. What he has got at his disposal is a group of players that are willing to completely and utterly buy into his philosophy. And I think that's rubbing off on the fan base as well. And look, I, I think inter- what was really interesting about what, what he did last night was we dropped off the intensity after 20 minutes and we kind of let the game come to us a little bit for the for the end of that first half. And you compare that to the games against Brentford, against Liverpool, where Fulham were so at it for the entire first half and dropped off in the second. And I wonder if the fixtures are more congested this week and you have to manage players a little bit better and manage the intensity of your press in order to make sure that you can get through games in the period you want to and manage them the way you want to. But I thought it was, I think it felt like a, you know, something that Fulham did on purpose, right? Okay, go out, batter the first 20 minutes. If it doesn't come off, tuck in, sit back, let the play go on in front of you and become really compact and tight. Um, And then take that break and come out again after in the second half and have the energy to be able to to kind of push that on again and, and be able to kind of ignite the crowd again because it was really loud for the first 20 minutes. It dropped off. I think at both ends, to be honest, as the game sort of played out into that into that chess stalemate for a while in, in the first half towards the end of it. And then as soon as Fulham came out with all that renewed attacking intent, the place kind of went up again. And I thought it was, you know, that was amazing. And my dad was with me last night and he's been away for the, the last first couple of games. And he was saying it's as loud as he's heard it second half, you know, that after we scored, 
and I was like, yeah, well, obviously the, the stand helps and having kind of sound in, in multi-dimensions helps in so many ways. And the sides being filled in a little bit, I think, is also part of this. But mostly I think that you're, you're absolutely right. It's about the fact that the fan base feels united behind it and everyone's willing to get behind this team. We're hearing the players say it. We're hearing Marco himself say it, how you know special it feels at the moment. And long may it continue. Too right, too right. Um, Peter, you spoke to uh, the man himself, Marco Silva, after the match last night. Uh, what elements of this Fulham performance did he pick out and say that he was especially proud of? Again, it was the off-the-ball work. Um, I guess that's that's sort of been the story, really, just how well Fulham are, are pressing this season, how direct they've been and how physical and how, how good they are in duels. I mean, Graham Potter, when he came out, said Fulham deserved to win it and and pointed to the fact that Fulham were winning those tackles, were winning those duels, which is what I think Thomas Frank said when when Brentford visited as well. So these these feel like almost basics, but Fulham also have really good tools in their armory to to win those battles. You know, Jao Palina is a phenomenal signing. Like it, the, the more he plays, the more you think, how has he ended up here? Um, <laughs> in a nice way, in a nice way. Um, but he, I mean, he now leads the league for for tackles. Um, I'm still looking quite good for the yellow card thing I said earlier in the season, but I think he didn't get one last night, so it's a fair play to him. Well, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> um, but no, the the protection he is giving, I think it's also bringing a lot out of Harrison Reed's game. A lot of uh, what Harrison Reed is good at. The two of them together, screening the back four, and the back four themselves look so well drilled. They look so familiar with each other, uh, and that that combination is, has been excellent. And then. Obviously, Alexander Mitrovic, who who Silva eulogised again afterwards, and Silva gets asked about Mitrovic pretty much every game. But this time, you could see, you know, he, he did really want to point out how impressive Mitrovic was, and he really he was unbelievable yesterday. Like he he actually he was outstanding, and it wasn't just the fact that he scored. We know he can pop up at the back post. He's good again into those positions. It was it was his all round game. I mean, Dunk had a had a horrible game. His defense, defensive output yesterday was absolutely through the roof. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, every couple of minutes you'd look up and he was he was in the right back position, shrugging off forwards to win the ball back, and then he'd carry it up the pitch, winning fouls, all round complete performance. Yeah, it, confidence is just oozing off that man, and I mean, he's five and five now. I'm not going to say because I, I don't want to jinx. I don't want him to stop <laughs> because uh, you know I, I'm I'm just very pleased for him that he's been able to do it considering all the sort of noise that he's had around him and as, as Fulham fans all know, doubting what he's been able to do. But to see him take on this challenge, to confound it in different ways as well. Like take the Arsenal game. You know the goal he scored was him winning the ball back. It was him pressing the thing that he supposedly can't do. Yeah, I mean Fulham are built to get the best out of him, but. He is providing so much to to Fulham's off the ball work, which has been the standout for me so far this season. I think what we've got to give, obviously, yes, Marcus Silva has built this side around Alexander Mitrovic, but I think enormous credit needs to be given to the man himself. He's come, you know, occasionally we'll come back after summer at the start of the season and we'll think, oh, Mitrovic is looking a bit chunky there. He's obviously been enjoying some uh, some beers on the beach, perhaps, but he's come back this season. He's he's looking like a prize racer, like just so stacked, so lean, like so strong I've got friends who were watching the game at home last night who texted me being like Mitrovic is just absurdly strong you can see you know the, the Brighton players were, were shirking out of 50-50 challenges because they just did not want to go up against this man and I know we've waxed lyrical about Mitrovic on the pop before and you know everyone we're, we're preaching to the converted here but I just think it was an all-round before it was a 10 it was an it was a stonewall 10 out of 10 performance I I thought just just absolutely incredible and I've talked so much that I've uh, I've lost my trail of thought here so let's get back to the uh, but I mean Jack do you agree I, I don't I can't think of a single element of his game yesterday that can can be faulted it was it was just utter Utterly, utterly perfect. Yeah, completely, complete a complete performance from a player who feels right now like a complete striker, right? And and that's where we're at. And I, I think you know you said it there. Part of this is obviously learning. I think it's Marcus Silva in some ways building a team to his strengths. It's also about him learning to understand his own game. I, I think, and you know, there were moments I think the last time where he tried to be that striker off the shoulder. He was never going to be that player, right? And he's now come to a point where he's so in control of his own abilities and strengths, and he's so so knowledgeable about the own, the game he's playing 
that he just, you know, it's kind of innate to him to be like, right, I can get to that. I can be in that position. I know when I have to track back. I know when I have to flick the ball on for others because I'm not going to get there. And I just, I think you're, you're so right. Yes, the confidence, you know, as Peter said, is oozing off him. And, and it's absolutely the, the perfect description of it because he just looks like he's strutting around <laughs> the cottage. And you're like, this man is so in his element right now. And you can see it in what he's saying. You can see it in what people are saying about him. And most importantly, you can see it in every performance. And, and you know, again, I, I feel like I'm going to say this a lot today, but long may it continue. <laughs> yeah, do right. I mean, even just like his link-up play. So we obviously, we, he's a target man, right? And, you know, he's got the aerial presence. But it, it reminds me, do you remember when, um, you know, the, in, back in the days of Bobby Zamora, when they used to say, oh, he's a great, great hold-up man. And he did provide that kind of link-up. That was the best element of his game. Mitrovic can do better than Bobby Zamora was doing back then. And then he has all of these other facets, the defensive work rate, the, the now pressing. And the, I mean, if you see him at the back post, you're just like, that's, that's a goal. That is a goal. And it's a really, really potent weapon to have in our arsenal. Anyway, let's get back to the match. We can we talk about Mitch Fitch all night, I'm sure. But uh, Jack, I just want to talk to you about uh, the concept of game management, right? So Brighton obviously got back into the game via the VAR penalty decision. One of the most uh, stonewall penalties I think I've ever seen. How that wasn't given uh, straight off the bat, I, I do not know. I think, anyway, I, think he's, I think he's unlucky, Bobby, in that obviously, you know, you can't see him coming, but it, it's definitely a penalty. So, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it wasn't a malicious challenge. It was just a bad defensive awareness. That's all it comes down to. It happens. Um, but Jack, I just wanted to talk to you about game management because as we entered the last half an hour of the game, um, Fulham, I thought, just controlled uh, the pace of the game so well. We obviously brought Tom Kearney on and it's uh, seeming more and more like that's going to be his role this year to kind of buy us a bit of time, slow the pace of the game down when we're trying to hold on to a lead. But you're a football purist, right? You love the beauty in the game. How do you personally feel witnessing us count down the clock in the manner in which we did so superbly last night are you are you conflicted or do you think take it to the corner lads I mean look the the beauty of the game is that there's different elements to the game right I think where where that's lost or soiled somewhere is is when teams don't come out and try if if Fulham had put nine men behind the ball and just tried to head everything out of the out of the box that would have been more you know one more dangerous two more chaotic and three I think less kind of enjoyable as a watch you know and this is coming from you know look at that from a take it from a neutral perspective and I know it's difficult to do that but that's an incredible incredible sequence of events for Fulham to keep the ball in those two areas where they did and bear in mind nearly score you know it wasn't just a hold-up exercise of being like okay can we spoil here there was also the element of Fulham was spoiling with with kind of the the endeavor to be like okay we will make a breakthrough here and and, and TC should have finished the game you know let, let, let's be perfectly honest he, he probably should score from that position or at least square it and, and and look for the best instead he got caught between the two I think but you know that was I think the the, the most impressive bit of that it wasn't just Fulham being like okay we're going to wind this down by trying to body people it was you know different elements of that there was strength involved of course but there was also a lot of skill involved down that flank there was you know the frustration of the Brighton players were absolutely evident. The ref's desire to let the game go on as far as, as Brighton could score an equaliser, equally evident, I thought. Um, but you, you come to that and you think that is a an absolute masterclass in how to wind a clock down from Fulham. And obviously we'd be frustrated if it was going the other way and it was against us. But equally, there was nothing wrong with it. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing, you know, bad about the idea of, of you, you'd always want your player to take it to the corners in those areas. And I think the film just showed the different the different ways you can do that. It wasn't just Mitrovic standing over the corner and, you know, holding off all comers. It was, it was done in such a kind of sublime way, I think, mostly by Tom Kearney, that it was almost, you know, impossible not to stand up and applaud. I mean, it's just so refreshing to see watch a Fulham team that so clearly has a game plan and every single player on the pitch knows their role within this system and I remember when we were up with Parker last time one of the, the frequent things that we were um, criticising the team as fans is that there just doesn't seem to be any plan here no, none of the players really looked like they knew what their role roles were it just seemed a bit of a kind of you know kid on football manager chucking on all the strikers with 20 minutes to go whereas the same cannot be said for this Marco Silva side. Uh, Peter, you, in your most, uh, well, second most recent now, um, after you published uh, 
today a uh, some good um a good article on some of our incoming or potentially incoming transfers which we'll come on to in a bit but uh, you talk about how Fulham have become uh, what you described as ugly awkward opponents um what is it about this Marco Silva side that you think makes life so difficult for our opponents and do you think that this can be sustained uh, long term they're just bloody horrible to play against aren't they I mean that's that's kind of it you know Jack just sort of summarized it it's just another way another way in which Fulham were able to do that I mean it was a maturity they showed in the final few minutes against Brighton it was clever I thought Tom Kenny was really good as Jack said just holding the ball knowing where to put his body knowing how to win fouls essentially there were fouls it was just it's just how how you go about winning them um and Fulham pressed as well I mean they forced mistakes um Sanchez seemed to have an absolute mare after his mistake and you know, when you've got Mitrovic hounding you down, it seemed like that only compounded it. But um, no, I, th- I think the, the, the point I'm getting at is with, with the piece is just that it goes back to what we were saying earlier in the pod, actually, just that that intensity, that physicality, that aggressiveness, the the realisation for pretty much any team that you will have to earn the right to play, which is a pretty old maxim, but certainly it seems to apply with Fulham. It's And, and certainly at Craven Cottage. Um, and, and Fulham won't make it easy for you. And that, that goes back to the work rate from the players. Um, I mentioned Paulinho and Reed, um, who were you sort of archetypal, um, horrible team to play against star men. Um, but uh, I was thinking also of the wingers. I think Bobby Deckard over Reed and Neskins Cabano have been really good off the ball because they are covering so much ground, especially in the way Fulham are playing, trying to keep it tight in that middle four, getting forward to support Mitrovic when they can. Being the pressing the pressing trigger when it moves into fullback areas, um, they've been really good. They're really really solid, and and th- and then you get to the back four, <clears throat> and it's 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 a li- it's a really solid line again. Um, and we've seen both fullbacks in Kenny Tete and Anthony Robinson. You know, we know that Kenny Tete is really good at one v ones against a winger. That was sort of the the attribute I remember when he signed that people were highlighting to me when I was finding out more about him. He said in a one on one situation. He's really strong and we're starting to see that again. And it's great that he's had that consistency of games this season. Seems to be building up a bit of head, uh, a head of steam a little bit. Um, and then Robinson's doing the same. And I, I think that's probably more of a, a surprise, I think. Um, but certainly this this way of playing, this physical way of playing is really showing his best qualities. And defensively, he's improved so much. Um, wasn't really tested so much, I suppose, in the championship last year, but just in those one-on-ones on that left side, he seemed rock solid again. You know, it's clear that, you know, as I was saying earlier, March was put on him. They were trying to get into those spaces, but because he's so quick, he can cover the ground if Fulham are moving, they're trying to keep their back full tight if they're moving from left to right. If he has to leave space for a fullback who overlaps for Brighton, he can then get across. That started to happen in the second second part of the first half. Um, I've been so impressed with him. And obviously he's got his ball carrying and, even his crossing when he's got into those areas, he hasn't had been able to do as many, but he's been picking out his targets. He picked Mitrovic out late on in the game, and I think Mitrovic just heads it over as a difficult sort of header. But um, sorry, I'm, I essentially you go through the team, but it, it, yeah, it, it goes. It just comes back to uh, almost a mindset and approach that we're going to battle you here, we're going to fight you here, and if you want to play for us, you're going to have to work very hard. Um, and the only, the only thing is because when you play with that kind of intensity, as Jack sort of alluded to, you know, in the first half, they dropped off a bit. I don't think Silver particularly wanted them to drop off like that, but they did. Um, and they're not really making subs early and it's about protecting bodies a little bit. And depth comes into that too. But um, for now, I mean, the, it's, it's a really good base that they're, they're, they're approaching these games. And, and confidence can only grow the more performances you have like this. Too right. George, I saw a, I saw a really good tweet earlier from from Joe Zanetti uh, on Twitter, and and she said, I think clubs are realizing that the only walk in the park with a visit to the cottage is the one <laughs> beforehand. And I thought it was a a really really lovely kind of sentiment in there, and kind of summed up everything that I thought was brilliant about Fulham. Yeah, too right. I mean, like we arrived in this league as the whipping boys. <laughs> like I put a um put a photo up on Instagram after we, you know, the pitch invasion and whatnot. I was just like, we're back, and then all the comments being like, oh, welcome back, whipping whipping boys. Easy six points a year. Thank you very much. You'll be back in the championship next season. And I don't want to jinx anything, but I mean, like I, I feel like we have silenced a lot of critics and, and shown this league what we're about and that we can really play. And we're starting to, you know, get a foothold in the league. Eight points already. What you say, you need magical forty. We're nearly a 
quarter of the way there. But anyway, long may it continue. Just on that point, Jack, like it's a fantastic start. We've got eight points, five and five for Mitro. We often see newly promoted teams, however, come flying out of the blocks and then kind of peter out around Christmas time. I mean, how do you think Marco can avoid this from happening to us? What sort of plans would you imagine he's starting to put in place to to um, to sort of keep this, you know, phenomenon at arm's length? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to various people about this and I was talking to Sam Ty, who I do ranks with, and he was saying, yeah, unless every club goes and signs Branislav Ivanovic regen to play it right back to defend their back stick. There's not really any way if you're putting crosses in the right area of stopping Mitrovic getting on the end of things. Um, now, obviously, and we'll, I'm, you know, we'll come on to depth because I think it's kind of important in the transfer section as to what we're getting at. You know, this team is based around some really key tenets, right? You know, you're, you're looking right now at, at Polinia, you're looking at Mitrovic, you're looking at Pereira's work rate in the 10, you're looking at Leno, you're looking Currently, Tim Ream as the kind of rock centre-back. If you start to lose these facets down the middle of your side, things can unravel quite quickly. Um, and, and we've seen this with, with various teams that when you're over-reliant on certain players, you know, th- that's when they get injured or when they hit a bad streak of form or if they're suspended or whatever, you know, you're looking at these and thinking, okay, you know, that that's going to then be a, a much trickier outcome. And look, this doesn't just apply to, to newly promoted teams or, or teams towards the bottom of the table. Look at Chelsea. Look at Liverpool the season that they lost all their centre-backs. Look at you know Chelsea right now just to have no answers in the middle because N'Golo Kante's out. And look, it's impossible to, re- you know, to replace a player of that calibre with another player of the same calibre when you're talking about that kind of level. And you do the same talking about Mitrovic or Pelina in this team, I think. But ultimately, you have to have options to be able to get through what is going to be a slog. And, you know, bear in mind, with the World Cup in here and the season truncated, things are going to get harder and harder. Um... That said, you know, get a good start. We've always said that that's part of of kind of making a point and you're not chasing and you're not trying to to cling onto people's coattails. If you can just stay ahead of the malaise or a little bit ahead of it, you can afford a slide. And look, what happened with Brentford last year, right? They came flying out the blocks. They did really well. And then they went on a slide, but at no point did they actually drop fully into the relegation malaise. They just sort of skirted the top of it. And there were question marks of whether they'd be able to drag themselves back out of it. And they did. Um, and, and so what you look at here is, yes, there might be some, yes, there are going to be bad periods. Have Fulham got the ability and, and the quality to, to fight for this entire season. I would say we're getting there, but there still isn't, you know, a massive need for Marcus Silva to be able to mix things up. And right now we don't have that. So that's, you know, crucial as we, you know, record this day before deadline day. We're, we're looking at this and going, can Fulham get through to January in the current state we're in? I think the answer is probably no. Um, but equally, you know, you don't want to take away from what has been such a brilliant start. And it's not criticism in so much of this team, um, but just, you know, to give the manager options and be able to change games off the bench, be able to change it. And, you know, we haven't, you know, we've gone behind in one game in the 87th minute, right? Fulham haven't not taken the lead in any game apart from the Wolves game, which ended 0-0. We're looking at a side here who haven't really been faced with that adversity quite as yet. And I think that that's, you know, that's going to be a, a different kind of test if Fulham are chasing games than it is to what we've seen so far. But ultimately, right now, it's very hard and, you know, and that nobody wants to because they've done so well to criticise where this team are and, and what they've become. Yeah, too right. I mean, as you said, not to take anything away from the start, but we do face some pretty tough times ahead. I think uh, you'd be incredibly naive uh, to to be a denier of that. And I mean, we've just got to hope for the love of Louis Sahar that people remain off that treatment table as long as possible. It was quite an interesting point on this chat that I just wanted to touch upon. This was a tweet from Max M um, asking, do you think that when promoted teams tend to really struggle in the second half of the season, the prospect of having an entirely fresh ta- attacking line when Solomon and Wilson come back might might give us a boost at the perfect time. I mean, I, I read that and I thought, yeah, that's, so, that's totally legit. It will, it will feel like two new signings, right? I think so in, in so many ways. I mean, Fulham have been this good without our main creative force in Harry Wilson. And I think that's obviously something that we need to look at. There are elements of, you know, I'd imagine, you know, Fulham are quite stoic. We're not, not stodgy would be the wrong word because we can break at lightning speed. Um, but that midfield too of, of Pelini and Reed who have been so good in protecting the defence are predominantly a defensive force, right? They are not here to become major creators. Yes, Polinia will chip in with goals because he, he's a set piece threat and he can shoot from distance, but you can't be relying on that. So you need your front three, four 
to be not only good going forward, but also, you know, those wingers are needed to help out the fullback. So there's a lot of this team which is based on kind of graft, I think. And, and there are elements of that Roy Hodgson S442 when Fulham drop into that shape, right? And we, we've seen that so many times. And it was, you know, referenced in Peter's article. Um, it, but it is one of those things where, you know, we we've been good, and we've got these two two wingers who we know are well, we know how good Harry Wilson is, and and we're pretty confident that Mana Solomon is 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 a top level technical player. When they come back, it's going to be very very exciting. Um, but yeah, it might it might come at the opportune time. It equally, you know, it depends on who what other players are in and out of the team at the moment. Uh, you know, at the time when they do return, because if you're missing your spine, those two aren't going to be the ones that plug that gap. Mm, too right. Too right. Yeah, anyway, we're, we're going to be talking about um, sort of the need for a bit more strength and depth maybe in section two, where we'll be discussing the imminent transfer deadline day, Peter's favourite day of the year, and uh, also answering a few of your questions. Don't go anywhere. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Thursday Club. I'm George Cooper and I'm joined by Jack Collins and the Athletics' Peter Rutzler. How are you doing, sir? All good, Sam. Uh, Sammy, no. Ooh, All good, George. Uh, Freudian slip. Freudian, oh, uh, that's called a Freudian slip, isn't it? When, uh... Yikes. <laughs> anyway, Yikes. No. Not the one you kind of want, is it? God. <laughs> you are, as long as, uh, as, long as um, that, this, this is the only uh, context of your life in which you accidentally shout Sammy James's name. That, that's absolutely <laughs> oh, me. Um Peter, Fulham are close to completing the signing of Levin Kozawa on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. Can you tell us any more about this development? Because this, uh, this was news to me. Yeah. Um, Fulham, I think one of Silver's four positions that he wanted to strengthen was the left back. And that is what Kazawa is, um, an experienced left back. Hasn't really played for PSG. I don't think he played at all last season, did he? Um, but he is an experienced defender, um, an attacking fullback. I think he's he thrived when he's at Monaco and I think he's won the league five times with, with PSG. Um, 13 caps for France. So an experienced outlet, probably... I think his best attributes are in the final third as opposed to maybe the defensive side, Jack. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, one of the only left-backs in the world with a Champions League hat-trick to wow. his name. How about that? What's that? Wow. That is that is good knowledge. Good knowledge. But yeah, so that that's that's close to being completed now on loan with, with Joe Bryan going on loan to uh, Nice, it looks like at the moment. He's in, in advanced talks, which seems like a very good location for Joe Bryan to go to. And I mean, we, we talked about Joe Bryan's situation after he's subbed off a half time against Crawley, clearly not one that Silver wants to to keep around. I think we all know how much Joe Joe Bryan has brought to the brought to the club and his story here. So hopefully he'll get some good minutes in in France and find some some nice coffee shops as, as well. Yeah, too right. That'd be nice. Joey B on the Riviera, lovely. You, you literally love to yeah. see it. That man just chilling with Aaron Ramsey and Casper Schmeichel on, on on the French Riviera. It feels like a nice. It trip. does. It certainly does. Plenty of uh, time for, for for reading on the beach. I'd imagine that sounds great. But yeah, uh, lads, we need to talk about Clivert. Yeah. Right. Okay. Where do we begin? We've had a few questions here. So uh, from Hot Dogs and Beer, how the hell didn't someone check the eligibility of Clivert prior to courting him for eight weeks? In any other multi-million pound deal, if someone let that slip, they'd be sacked. Bizarre. Marty War on that sentiment. 
how do we pursue a player like Cliver and not understand the rules if he doesn't play enough games for Roma? He won't be eligible for a work permit by the FA. Who's making these decisions and not doing their research? Fred came in. Should the club have known that Cliver wouldn't get a work pay- permit or is this a total surprise? Peter, what have you gleaned from your... sort? Of, have you had a chance to look into this at all yet? Um, I know that you're you're currently um, looking into it, but what, what information can you share with us at the moment, if any? Yeah, obviously it was um, broken up night by my colleague David Ordstein that the, the deal had collapsed due to you know not Cliver uh, apparently not picking up a GBE which is the requirement for overseas players it's, it's the equivalent it's basically a work permit they are part of the post-Brexit protocols um, and you know the, the indications are that it's due to Cliver not reaching that criteria now he did play 27 games for in Liga for Nice. Um, the reports this morning d- discussed that his lack of appearances for Roma have contributed, which you know seems seems quite strange from 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 the outside. Um, clearly, a frustrating development, and I think the questions about you know how this has happened, I think they're understandably the legitimate ones that you get to this point and and for that to happen. Um, I'm looking into it as at the moment, so it's not one I can say you know, with too much certainty on to exactly how this has happened. Um, either way, it's it's frustrating, and you would assume from the outside that you wouldn't go down this far with the transfer, which has been in negotiations for quite some time, without an expectation that it would be fine. But uh, yeah, that's it's obviously very frustrating. Yeah, I think from kind of what what I've read and what I've heard today from kind of different various different sources and, and digging into this one a little bit deeper as well it, it does appear that Fulham were given some sort of confidence by by the powers that be that this would be fine and when it's come to the crunch it's been turned down for you know various reasons by all accounts and you know I think there was there was a sentiment that you know obviously he's a, a player who has played numerous times in the top five, you know, in the, in one of Europe's top five leagues last year on, on loan. And and that makes life incredibly difficult to kind of swallow. Um, I completely understand the anger and completely understand the frustrations with, with what's happened here. But yeah, everything I've, I've kind of read or been told this morning um, is that Fulham were under the impression that this was not going to be a problem. And they've been taken kind of as you know, by surprise, as the rest of us have, by the fact that this has happened. And, you know, everyone's a bit in kind of shock with it, to be perfectly honest. So um, I'm not 100% sure it's, you know, one of those that the club have gone, ah, oh, that doesn't matter, we won't deal with that. I think they were under the impression that they, you know, studied the studied the, the details, the rules, and that everything would be fine. And at the last minute, the rug's kind of been pulled from under this one. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, naturally, as Peter says, the frustrations are there. But m- m- I think that, I think the club are, you know, as as in kind of shock with it all as, as we are. So I'm, I'm not 100% sure it's it's lack of planning. I think it's uh, something's been given in, in bad faith. I see. Well, Peter, we'll await uh, the results of your uh, intense study into European uh, work permit law. Uh, I do not envy that task one bit, but um, but yeah, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll uncover some some pearls of wisdom. Um, Jack, we had a question from Will Gardner. Do we desperately need another centre mid to avoid burning out Paulinia and Reed? If so, who can we get? Right, I, I, like Paulinia and Reed are in that double pivot are so important to the way that this side works. And I, I did a little uh, player cam, personal player cam, and when I focused in on Paul Paulinia last night and he doesn't actually cover that much ground when you when you watch him play. His positioning is so good. He'll just wait and wait and wait. And then at the moment that he needs to commit to a challenge, he'll just go with 100% aggression and make that tackle. And therefore, he just is... He manages to maintain his energy throughout the course of the of the of the match, and of course you've got Reed, who is the kind of flip side of that, doggedly chasing everything down with the press and providing that kind of energy. Is this pair? Obviously, we're going to need some squad rotation. Do you think this sort of someone who can fill in as a as a worthy replacement is important to pick up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Especially for the Reed position. Now, I think the thing with Palinia is he's he's a bit of a unicorn in in so many ways. He's such a such a wonderful footballer, and he does so many brilliant things that it's hard to stack a player up similar to him and think, okay, you know, how do you how do you get someone in here? Um, I was going to suggest, uh, I did earlier in the week suggest that Amadou Diawara, who's 
also leaving Roma. He looks like he's going to Anderlecht on loan. Um, would have been a really, really you know clever, clever addition in so many ways because he is a bit Harrison Reedy in in the way he he kind of gets around the pitch and and he builds that kind of that kind of dynamism with with a partner who's a little bit more kind of static, if you will. Um, trying to find a, a kind of Pellinier alternative is. Is tricky. Obviously, we were linked to Al Mazrati at the start of the season from from Braga, but it doesn't look like now he's going to be going kind of anywhere. To be perfectly on with you, and you know, I think at this point you're not going to find a player of Pellini's quality to step into that to that breach. I think you can find a player who is probably of you know not necessarily a similar level to Harrison Reed, but definitely a similar play style to him to kind of get away, get around, and. And equally, I think, you know, how intense Reed's role is in his side. And look, you only have to go back to yesterday with him pressing the keeper at one point at 2-1 up um, to, to kind of think, OK, how do you how do you go about that and, and kind of make it happen and, and try and bring someone in? Because you can't be expected to do all of these things. Um, I quite like Samu Costa, who plays for Almeria, um, 21 years old, similar kind of uh, defensive profile I think more to, to kind of Paulina's style, but I think would be a good rotation piece. Has a little bit more about him. He's not quite as tall. Um, has that ability to to kind of drive around in a midfield and, and and do the do the right things. Might be one to kind of have a look at. Twenty, you know, as you say, a youngster playing at a kind of lower level side in La Liga, um, and maybe being able to kind of kick into that that place and go. Okay, there's a, a player who we can kind of mould as a long term project as well as someone who's probably ready to step in here and there at this point so there are players out there um I don't know if we're going to get two centre midfielders in at this point which I think is slightly concerning but you know obviously there there seems to be a place or at the moment at the very least seems to be a spot for Nathaniel Chalaber now that's going to cause some consternation in some ways but I think he is more of a, a Palinio kind of mould. If you can get someone in, if you're only bringing one centre midfielder in, I think I'd want it to be a kind of dynamic, all-action centre midfielder with a defensive spin. Um, and and there are some out there, you know, some youngsters, some some good players on the continent who who would be able to fulfil those roles. Jack, we've got a question here from Matt Wall. What is plan B if Mitro gets injured? Surely we need to spend a bit on an investment striker. Um, Semenyo or Adebayo too, for instance, to have someone play the AK-47 role. Now, I'm I'm not entirely um, sure I'm on board with that phrase, the AK-47 role, but I think there is something there in that what's our plan B if Mitro gets injured? Do you, is there anyone that you think Fulham should be in for or have the, if he heard that we're in for um, to, to act as a guess and understudy for our big man? Yeah, I mean, it looks like Bombardier from Marseille is is still kind of rumbling along. Now, whether that goes through or not is, is a different question, but they have obviously options in there. They signed Alexis Sanchez this week. Cengiz Zunda doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Marseille might have outgrown the need a little bit for Bombardier. Um, he is a bit of a chaotic figure at the, you know, at the best of times. He, he uh, Like AK? He, yeah, I think he's a, a more refined, younger version in, in some ways. He has that kind of chaotic aspect to his game in that he's as likely to score a 30 yard thunderbolt as he is a two yard tap in um, and, and also miss both at the, at the same time. And, you know, I was watching him quite a lot last year in the conference league and there was a game where he'd missed three absolute sitters and then pulled out one of the best goals I've ever seen out of the bag. And you're going, how does that add up? Like how, how does that match into what I've just watched? But he is a, a very, very good player, versatile, really well respected within the Senegal setup, um, you know, as part of, of their AFCON squad. And I think where you, where you look at him and think, yeah, that makes sense kind of from a Fulham perspective as to someone that could definitely fit into, into these roles. The one that's come out today um, is Raul de Tomar, who is much more of a traditional nine. You're not going to be playing Raul de Tomar anywhere, but in that kind of spot up top. Now, could he play with Mitrovic, RDT? Maybe. You, up top together, they would be a powerhouse duo uh, of centre forwards, but not quite as similar as perhaps Mitro and Muniz were in terms of play styles. Um I really like this. It, it, it's a you know he's one of my favourite players. He currently plays for Espanyol. Uh, he is leaving Espanyol this summer. Um, there was talk of him going to various places. Uh, Sociedad were looking at him at one point. They've bought Umar Sadiq, so I don't think they're going to be following that interest up. Um, th- there's been some you know various other things touted as well. Valencia, although it looks like they're about to sign Edison Cavani, so that one might be out of the picture as well. So he's kind of been 
he was very obviously like, I'm out of here. He hasn't played at all for Espanyol so far this season, um, but was a key man for them last season. And since he's gone back to La Liga, he, he's been really, really quite exceptional. Um, fired fired Espanyol out of the Segunda, back into the into La Liga, and then continued that goal-scoring record. The only problem with, with RDT is that he's kind of on the brink of the Spain squad. He is a player who's going to expect to kind of play every week. He's a very, very talented footballer. Um, and I wonder how they would fit in together, him and Mitrovic, if they were both brought in. But as a depth option, if Fulham could get their hands on RDT, that would be an exceptional bit of business because I, I really, really rate him. It's mm, interesting. What clubs do you think, uh, whether it be on the continent or domestically, have successfully or most successfully adopted a, you know, a, a pairing up front with one of the strikers similar to Mitrovic? Because it's not often, you know, you, the, most teams nowadays in the European game, especially play as a front three. Is there anywhere that you've seen that adopt this playing style that you think we could potentially emulate? Because I, to be honest, I'm finding it hard to kind of visualise it. We've got our, our man and at the moment I'm, it's kind of seems like we're going to look for an understudy. But do you think we could make that transition? It's happened. Um, Marcelino played a 4-4-2 basically at Athletic Club last year um, using like, the kind of pace of Iñaki Williams uh, alongside a kind of Raul Garcia or Villa Ibre who are much bigger target men strikers. Um, to, as a, to, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it brought them far further up the league than they'd been for a while. We've seen it a little bit at Real Sociedad um, with yeah, Sorlot, who was there, and Isaac, who's obviously now moved to Newcastle United. There are sides who've employed it. Um, it it's a little bit more common in France these days as well um, to, to, to play two up top. Uh, I wonder if at some point, if that does happen, would Silva consider going two or three, five, two in order to accommodate two strikers and, and, ba and maybe give a little bit more um, you know, protection or cover to, to, to Polini and Reed in midfield to kind of save their legs a little bit more and, and, and turn Fulham into a side that, that have a very, you know, one, one dimensional is the wrong word, but a very structured style of attacking by trying to utilize the fullbacks as much, uh, wingbacks or, or use that later on in games to kind of change them. So it can be done uh, and it, it is done you know, around the world to, to varying degrees. Um, but I think you, you kind of have to, you have to make it work with the players you have. And that would be the next challenge for, for Marcus Silva. If, if it was, if a player like RDT was to come in, he's not going to be content to be, you know, a bench warmer a hundred percent. You know, that's his character. He wants to go and, and play and, and, and move and, and do good things with his career and, and try and get into this Spain squad for the world cup. So it, it would, it would, it would interest me how Fulham would play it out. But in terms of, bringing quality in this, into the side, I think it would be sensational. Mm, good stuff, good stuff. Anyway, we've got uh, Jack and Joe going live tomorrow from nine o'clock uh, on YouTube. Do join in for, um, for the transfer deadline day chaos. We've got a really fun little question before we, um, before we wrap up this section. This is from Jacob Backwards. Um, how much do you think it would take for us to sell Metro? I genuinely think that it takes our relegation chance from 10% to 90%. If Premier League money is 150 million, there or thereabouts, that's at least 120 for me, Metro. What do you what do you reckon? Just off the top of your dome, Jack, Peter, like, I, I mean, obviously it's not even worth thinking about. It's not going to happen. But what price tag do you think would cause uh, Tony Khan's head to turn? 80. For, me, for Metro? 80 mil. I think 80. Yeah, yeah. So he's twenty-seven currently. Oh, I think if someone off, if someone put eighty, I think if someone put eighty million pounds on the table, Fulham would have to look at it. I don't necessarily know it would front. go through, but I think they would have to look at it. <laughs> cash suitcase, yeah, 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 yeah. suitcase, Stephen your own. Ca yeah, <laughs> cash in hand. <laughs> oh. Yeah, um, I, I have no idea, but I just thought it was quite an interesting conversation point. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, yeah, I think that's the kind of figures we'd be looking at to even start start a conversation. Anyway, it's not worth thinking about. Let's move on. I was just interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, don't go anywhere because in part three, we're going to give you a little Spurs preview and answer a few more of your questions. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Thursday Club. It's George Cooper in for Sammy James, who's swanning around the Isle of Mykonos on a quad bike currently with his wife, enjoying his uh, belated honeymoon. We hope you're having a lovely time, sir. And I'm joined by Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. It's always so much fun doing the uh, doing the pod after a win, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's just it just lightens the load. Um, it really does. So, Spurs, mm. another unbeaten side coming up. First trip to the stunning new White Hart Lane with fans in the ground. So uh, that's one to look forward to. To the three thousand Fulham supporters heading to North London on the weekend, sold out. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. I hope you all have an absolutely magnificent time. I'm working, unfortunately, so I won't be there. But do give them a cheer for me, um, Jack. They look a very, very good side at the moment. It's going to be a, a tough test. However, I'm, I'm with the way Fulham are playing at the moment and the confidence we currently possess. I'm feeling strangely confident going into this am I being terribly naive no I don't think so I, I think I was more confident than I was against Arsenal last week um mostly because I think you know much as Spurs have points on the board and were very good in parts um this season in that first game against Southampton in particular they've also kind of been battered the last three times they've played and they've come out with, with good points so obviously they're there's an element of that. And, you know, talking to some Spurs fans, you know, saying, you know, we're not playing well. I'm like, yeah, you're not playing well, but you're still getting points. And that's, that's obviously a massive thing. And Conte's there like, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to have fun. I'm here to win. You know, I'm not, I'm here to, to win, win trophies and win, win points and be in conversations for titles. Um, so it's a tricky one because I think there is an element that this game looks on paper from kind of a, a kind of where, how they've been playing a game that Fulham could well get a foothold in equally there is a point that I think this Spurs side are going to click and we haven't seen it yet. So it's a really tricky one to try and gauge. Obviously, it's a, a squad stack full of talent. It's a, you know, a side that, that know exactly where they are that will be incredibly well drilled under Antonio Conte. They have just looked a little bit lifeless in, in some ways. And yes, they're still picking up the points. Yes, they're still getting the wins. Um, but I, I fancy that Fulham will have a go at them. And, and, and yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm more confident than I was against Arsenal. Now, whether that's misplaced confidence because of the way that Fulham are playing and the things that have gone our way so far, maybe. But yeah, I think there's, there's, there's enough to be excited about. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going to the, to, to the new stadium. I've, I've been once um, right at the beginning when it opened, um, but not, not since. So, and I've never been anywhere in. So it's going to be very exciting. That, what's the best thing about the new stadium, Jack? There's a brewery in the stadium. Oh, There's a Beavertown brewery within the stadium. So everything's gone straight out of the brewery, which is cool. Average, uh, average queue for a pint time. Uh, it was well, to be fair, mate. It was. I went for a midweek uh, Champions League game against Olympiacos at one point, um, and it wasn't all that full. So um, it, it was okay that night. But uh, we'll see how it is with three thousand in the away end. Stuff. Um, Spurs somewhat unconventional tops of the you know the traditional top six and that watching them against Nottingham Forest they seem to be more than happy to allow them to have large spells of possession and again it's not really the sort of thing that you see from the top uh, six sides Peter from what you've seen of Spurs this year is there anything uh, in particular that has impressed you or uh, any anyone that we should be wary of in particular you know I think Spurs have had a solid start I don't think they've been as spectacular as I think they probably could be I mean this is an Antonio Conte team of course um, but they've, they've done what they need to do they've, they've put points on the board I've been impressed with even Perisic I'd be interested to see how or if he is rotated either tonight uh, they play tonight yes. don't they um, either tonight or at the weekend of course it'd be Ryan Sessegnon who'd uh, come back into the team familiar with we've heard of him yes familiar with this parish um so, uh, yeah, I think he's had a, a material impact. I think the, the signs they've made have made them a stronger team overall. Um, we haven't seen Son Heung-min hit the same form yet. He seems like a player who's um, been struggling. Um, I wouldn't say struggling by his standards, but he doesn't seem to have the same... What's the word I'm looking for here? Quoi. Yeah, not quite je ne sais quoi. It's like... A... <laughs> Joie de vivre. Joie de vivre, X-Factor. No, I think I think he seems all right. He seems enjoying his 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 life. Um, no, he it's it just not quite like that killer instinct um, so far this season. That that fluency you get when you you find a purple patch, 
Um, that said, the threats they've got are uh, stronger than than they have had in recent seasons. You know, obviously, Dejan Kulisewski has been a really astute signing. Um, Harry Kane looks to have found his form early. Uh, and then Richarlison as well looks ready to, to come into the team. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really difficult challenge for Fulham. Um, but, you know, they'll take confidence from the fact that they've played Arsenal and Liverpool and, and shown, shown that they can compete. Too right. And it's, yeah, it's nice to be going into this match thinking, oh, we could get something here and not, oh, God, here we go, here we go, as we have in previous seasons. Jack, what do you think the game will be decided on? And how, how do you think Fulham can come away with some points here? I think it's just got to be more of the same in so many ways. Fulham have a system and a style that is currently working. Um, now, at Arsenal, that involved a lot of spoiling. Um, now, I think we're going to have more of the ball and be able to play out a bit more against this Spurs side, um, which, which should play a little bit more into our hands. Um, and they're missing some some cogs. So it's not you know the end of the world and it's not everything kind of gone. Uh, Christian Romero seems to be out for, for some time and he's a, a really, really impressive centre-half um, and someone who I think could have, uh, you know, not necessarily got a handle on but would have been a very good battle against Alexander Mitrovic aerially and on the deck. Um, so him being missing is a good thing, I think, for Fulham. Uh, there are, you know, just, again, still such a such a good side that I don't want to try and pick it apart in, in so many ways. But, you know, there there are spaces to exploit, especially behind this centre back, uh, this centre midfield pairing. If if Pereira can get in that hole, um, and we can get the ball wide and and look to target that back post, or, or kind of it will be the one of the two wider centre backs that Mitrovic is going to be peeling onto to try and attack them. I mean, there could be some joy there. Um, but again, it's going to involve a lot of patience, a lot of pressing, and a lot of hard work. Um, and obviously, there's the concern that three games in in the space of eight days it is going to eventually start to have its toll on some of these players. So, you know, fingers crossed that Fulham aren't too knackered from what have been two very, you know, industrious performances um, over the last couple of days. Um, and hopefully that rest and that extra day's rest that we get compared to Spurs, who obviously play a day later, um, it plays out in that we can we, we can kind of have a little bit more intensity and and drive to to, to they have. And, and, and hopefully we can continue that, you know, start finally be the team that exploits the fact that they haven't started as brightly as perhaps they might have hoped in terms of performances. Got you. Well, it should be an interesting contest this Saturday. Very much looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I hope all the traveling, all the 3,000 traveling supporters have a fantastic afternoon. Uh, two little bits of fun now to before we wrap up the pods. Uh, I've got this question here for you, Jack, by uh, James Barron. Oh, gosh. Um, with, <laughs> with Parker gone, does the rivalry subside with Bournemouth? Good day from Australia, by the way. That's from James Barron. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't get to the end of the pod without talking about the, uh, the dismissal of our former manager, um, as Marco described him um, on a previous pod as the uh, Cardigan sixth former, Scott Parker. I mean, are you surprised to see him go just really uh, quickly? Uh, not hugely, no. I don't think that it was all to do with that result. And uh, there was a lot of kind of chat in the press about the fact that what more could he be expected to get out of those first four games than three points? And I think they're probably right. Um, I think what the Bournemouth board were expecting from him was not to lay into his own players um, and and some of the reports coming out apart from, you know, from the dressing room about him cutting a sombre figure, cutting a solo figure, refusing to engage with his players. Well, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, so, so I think that there's an element of that. And, you know, Bournemouth, you know, they've come out and said, we're a sustainably run club. We're trying to, to make sure that we're not run in the wrong way. We're trying to, you know... <laughs> Uh, invest in the team in, in ways that make sense rather than splashing the cash kind of nonchalantly. And the fact that their spending has been very different to say someone like Nottingham Forests um, also reflects the fact that their spending was very different to someone like Nottingham Forests in the championship. And, you know, it's about making those rolling rolling FFP totals work. And, and Forests have obviously gone about that in a very different way to Bournemouth, who made the investments in January and they haven't quite paid off. And Parker's obviously doesn't want a second successive relegation for the Premier League on his CV. You can see that in in many ways that he's he's decided that you know is everyone's fault but mine in 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 so many ways. And I think if you make, start making comments like that, the writing's pretty much on the wall. So I wasn't surprised to see him go after after what he said after the game. It really made me angry though because it's like as you said, he invested heavily in January to get them up. Did that by the skin of their teeth 
pretty much. Well, not skinny legs. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but he, you know, he managed. No, but it came down to that game against Nottingham Forest, didn't they? And they managed that game really well. But they, it did come down to that pretty much a straight shootout on the on the second last day of the season. I think skin of the teeth is fine. And then, and then also to he, the quote that really made me like angry is that he said he was asked whether he thought it was a a poor day at the office, a bad performance, and he effectively said, "Well, I've got these players. I think that this, you know, this is the level that they're capable of." Effectively, like what, what, like imagine how that if he had stayed on imagine how that would make you feel as being part of that team yeah. where your managers effectively said oh yeah no they're all shit i was expecting this no matter how well they play they're not going to do any better anyway peter have you got any have you got a take on this at all or uh are you um yes yeah, sort of moving on but i know I, people accuse the fulham fan base of being a bit uh too obsessed with parker but um but i'm just interested to hear your thoughts it's obsessed not at all um <laughs> no it's it's no it's not a great situation and I, and I agree i think the comments after liverpool were strange i mean if I was in the dressing room and, you know, the manager says there might be more results like this, it's, you know, that shouldn't be the case. You know, 9-0 results are aberrations. They're, you know, they're, they're things that shouldn't happen. And I mean, even when the level is not, even when the level is supposedly so different, there has, they are one-offs. They have to be seen as one-offs. And you have to say that they're one-offs um, for your players. And I think the situation at Bournemouth, Having delved into it a bit, we did a good piece led by Ahmed Shilbum about um, exactly what's sort of happened here. I think there's sort of a wider perception that it was to do with, oh, is it results led or anything like that? When in reality, it's something that had been bubbling away behind the scenes and with, with Scott Parker making comments about recruitment throughout the summer. And, you know, Marco Silva has also made comments about recruitment here. Um, of course, the, the difference is seemingly that at Bournemouth there is a misalignment and those those feelings about the squad have translated to a situation where it looks uncomfortable for people behind the scenes, for the players. And it's that's not a healthy in, environment. You know, when you look at Fulham and the way they've been playing, you know, the squad have been fantastic. There's no sense that you know, the demands for recruitment have massively adversely affected a significant number of the squad. So um when you get a situation where a manager a manager's view it's different from what the ownership wants to do, then it's a parting of ways. And that's kind of what happened at the end of his time at Fulham too. You know, I think Fulham wanted to use some of the players that Scott Parker had pushed to one side after the new players had come in. Um, and it was just not a situation that was going to work. Um, clearly, when you have those comments as well, it just becomes that bit more, bit more tricky. And I, I do have, I do think, and I don't, I, I do think, you know, compared to the other clubs that have come up, Bournemouth haven't invested at all. And I don't think, that position is necessarily wrong. You want to have the strongest squad available to you. You want to be as competitive as possible. The signings they've made have not exactly set the world on fire. Um, you wouldn't say Bournemouth are very well equipped to to fight competitively to stay in the division. And I think that's I think that's a fair position to take. Um, but it's how you do it, and ultimately the way that that Parker has done it has led to him losing his job. Yeah, too right. It's been some really interesting discussion on this in our Telegram community. If you want to support the pod, um, you can do so by uh, yeah joining this community. It's Telegram chat. There's um you know it's about nearing two hundred members now. It's really good fun. And um, yeah, if you want to chat Fulham, do feel free. We really do appreciate your support. But there was a question asked there that really stood out for me, which was where does he go now, Jack? I mean, if you think the manner of which he's departed from his last two jobs, which surely he's not going to be able to waltz into another sort of cushy Premier league number no probably not but I, I do think that he's also got a track record of getting two sides out of the championship and somebody will take that gamble um now the Sunderland might, one might have come all, all along a little bit too quickly for him but I would have been very intrigued to see if he could what he would do there um but I do have a, a wonder if Scott Parker will want to a side that is you know dominant in the championship he would be looking at a top level side with a squad in order to try and push them over the line because basically that's what he's had at both Fulham and Bournemouth he's had sides that were up there on on paper at the very least as the best teams in the championship and he's taken them both over the line in, in differing ways um someone will take a gamble um but I think right now it looks like that Scott Parker ceiling is championship level or, or at least it is in terms of the the sides he's he's done well with and now he'll point to it and say, I was doomed at Fulham. And, you know, to, to begin with, I didn't get the players I needed. And he'll look at it and say, I was the same at Bournemouth. But when that narrative starts to become quite a dominant part of your philosophy, 
then um, then it starts to become a slight worry for for clubs trying to appoint him. I'm sure, but that track track record of getting two sides out of the division will stand him in good stead to get another championship job. So I imagine it won't be too long uh, that Scott Parker's out of management when when someone one of the big guns of the championship isn't doing as well as they thought halfway through this season. Mm, we'll be seeing those uh, Burton padded cardigans before uh, before too long, I'm sure. Right, just before we wrap up and name the pod, we've got a lovely email from Katie here. Um, she says, hi, Fulhamish. I've never messaged before, but I have to say I really love the podcast. My biggest claim to fame was getting the three-word review for the Fulham-Arsenal game, Extra Time Torture. Anyway, I would love it if you could give me a little shout-out on the pod. On Saturday, it was my wedding day, and quite frankly, I was gutted to be missing a game. She's got her priorities in the right order. Good, good on you, Katie. But it gets funnier. When my husband moved to London from the US 20 years ago, he was given a couple of tickets to Arsenal and has been a season ticket holder ever since. I am a Fulham season ticket holder and over the nine years that we've been together, we've enjoyed the banter of playing each other. When the fixtures came out, I couldn't believe we would be playing each other on our wedding day. As a 5.30 kickoff, we spent our wedding breakfast being given live updates as people ran up to the top table. You should have seen the room when we went 1-0 up as the guests were split between Fulham and Arsenal. I'm gutted we lost, but it was almost like playing playing each other on our big day was meant to be. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Kind very regards, good. Katie. What a lovely story. Thanks That's very lovely. much. Yeah, it's good that, isn't it? You can imagine, uh, I mean, I'm sure if I was at that wedding, I'd have been doing a, a toast to uh, Alexander Mitrovic when that goal went went in. But um, yeah, have you, have, you, have you guys got any pals who uh, who are conflicting supporters on either side of the uh, either side of London or uh, or otherwise? My aunt and uncle are QPR in Brentford, Ooh. which is uh, which is quite. And considering the rest of the family is Fulham, it, it makes for uh, some interesting developments. But yeah, um, that's a good one. West London clan. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. The the term wedding breakfast always makes me laugh because it's always in the afternoon, isn't it? Like you're like, why is why are we doing the why are we doing these things? Why is it called a wedding breakfast um, when it's at like five pm? But it, it always does. Is, that, make is me that right? I just, I it's just always the meal. Was, uh, no, it's always the meal. It's it? always called a wedding breakfast. There you go. Ah, well, there you go. Every, every day's a school day. <laughs> Shows how far off I am to, to to marriage. Anyway, on that night, Jack, would you like to uh, name the pod, please? Obviously, there were loads of brilliant ones, but I think I really liked <laughs> Dunkin' Donut from Whistle Test at Aldgrah. <laughs> just thought it was absolutely sensational. So, yeah. It's just one of those, but very, very good. Dunkin' Donut. Brilliant. Good stuff. Uh, thank you very much to Peter Ratzler. I hope uh, tomorrow is not too much of a log shift for you. Thanks for your time today. No, it's all good. Always look forward to it. Get the, uh, get the Red Bull in or something. No, I hate yeah. it. I'm not going to do that. Things have to go going very wrong for that to happen. Um, <laughs> it's your birthday as well. It's a, a long day for you, mate. A long shift. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be good. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Embrace, embrace the day. Yeah, carpe diem and happy birthday for happy birthday for tomorrow as well. Um, do feel free to to flood Peter Ruxman on Twitter much. with with uh, birthday wishes. Uh, Jack Collins, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Coops. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun and happy birthday, Peter, for for deadline day. What a day to have it. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Sammy James will be back on the Thursday Club next week. But um, yeah, I've been keeping his seat warm. Thanks for listening and have a fantastic rest of your week. You whites, you whites. Right.